Hi, Damien Marcus from 100 Not Out here. MP. Yes, Damo. We all know the importance of having a diary, but who wants a boring old day planner? Not me. Enter the journey of me. Ta-da! The incredible eight-month wellness journal designed especially for wellness peeps like you. Yes, Damo, this beautiful eight-month wellness guide is filled with questions, planners, exercises, reflective notes, and more. Endorsed by the Up For A Chat girls and loved the world over, the journey of me is a must-have if you're ready to live your best life for life. To purchase your very own journey of me and receive a free set of inspirational postcards, simply enter the code COUCH at www.wellandnew.com. That's www.w-e-l-l-i-n-e-u-x.com. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to The Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts, Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damien Christoph, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to The Wellness Guys. I'm Lawrence Tam. I'm Damien Christoph. And I'm Brett Hill. And this is The Wellness Guys Show, a weekly show dedicated to bringing wellness into our lives. Guys, it's been fantastic to kind of see you. This is a post-summit um, podcast. It's been a great, wasn't it amazing to see 700 people uh, in one space in Melbourne? It was just phenomenal. It was the mood was amazing. The energy was incredible. Um, I actually watched people come to watch us burn because the whole place was on fire. It was amazing. <laughs> it was huge, wasn't it? I mean, the, the atmosphere was just amazing with the stadium seating and so many people in there. Yeah. The vibe coming back off of there was amazing, and you know all those amazing exhibitors that were there with all those cool products, and it was just it all just fitted in together perfectly. There, there was just such a synergy with the whole thing. It was it was awesome. I loved it. If you want to check out some of the things that's uh, on Instagram or Facebook, go uh, to hashtag Wellness Summit 15 uh, and you can check out some of the pictures. But, you know, what it was for me when I was there watching 700 people, you know, spending two days with us and all the other speakers, I can see that they really want to get the most out of life. And mm-hmm. so we decided to, you know, create, uh, Damon, you lined up an amazing, um, you know, interview t- for today's podcast. So would you like to introduce our special guest for today? Yeah, I will, boys. Hey, do you remember this? Do you remember this song? I'm just going to play a little song here. Do you remember this song? Do you remember that song? No, I do. <laughs> I'm like the youngest one on here, and I was like the only one who remembered that song. Yes, well, Britta, you did your research. It's fantastic today. Today we've got a very special guest. She's a, a second-time um, interviewee on the uh, on the Wellness Guys. She's a, a one of Australia's leading geneticists. Um, she's pioneered the field of nutrigenomics here in Australia and in New Zealand, and taking it worldwide. She's uh, really doing some amazing work in discovering how we can. Um, manipulate our environment, change our environment so that we can express our epigenetic control um, and live a better life. And she is none other than the gene genie herself. Maybe gene genius, I should say. Gene genius herself, Dr. Margaret Smith. It's great to have you here, Margie. Thanks, Damien. And if it's any consolation, I do know that song. <laughs> I thought you might. I thought you might. When Brett said, "Oh, do you know this song you play?" and I said, "Oh, I didn't know the song." And then I realised what song I was listening to. I was like, "Yes, what a great song for this particular <laughs> podcast." Margie, you and I have been working together for a couple of years. Um, obviously, on, uh, with Smart DNA, and I've I've done many many um, reports with you for my practice members coming to my practice, and many other chiropractors and nutritionists and naturopaths have been using your particular product. But you've now bundled up a book called Gene Genius. Um, and you've explained a whole lot of the information 
um, around your reports in this particular book, which I think is really exciting. It takes all the information to the consumer. What was your motivation behind, I suppose, actually, let's, let's, I've, I've gone too far. Let me just take it back a little bit. Why would someone want to get their genes measured or read so they can understand more about it? Well, I, I mean, the world's moving towards personalization, and I, I think that um, the public are beginning to realize that the broad brushstroke uh, health recommendations may not actually work for them. So people are looking for some more information about themselves. I mean, we, we look at, at people and we can see that they're different and it's the same in their cells. Uh, the DNA that cont is contained in people's cells is likewise different. And people are looking to basically use this type of testing for preventative health um, and to understand any risks that they, they may have and how they can actually mitigate those risks. So it is, it's a burgeoning area, Damien. So, Margie, one of the key things that uh, and you, you just wrote a book called Gene Genius, and uh, one of the first chapters it's it's about DNA and just explaining DNA, of course. And uh, but you you know one of the things you said is there's good genes and bad genes. I didn't realize there's bad genes. So let's talk a little bit about that because I don't want to confuse people. Um, so let's talk about are there actually good genes and there are there actually bad genes? It's like those tight blue ones that you wear, LT. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I think it's um. That, that terminology, good genes and, and bad genes, I think that um, it's really something that the, the public often think that we have, good genes and bad genes. And um, for me, the way I look at genetics is that there's no such thing as good or bad. Um, we are born with what we have and we have to learn to work with our, our genome, basically. So um, the premise that um, a gene might be bad is probably not the, the best position to take. We have to understand our own genome and, and how we can best work with it. I think, you know, across our genome, there are, uh, you know, some very serious DNA changes that we can have that can uh, lead to a very high risk of developing um, certain diseases such as um, breast cancer and bowel cancer, for example. And then there are changes that we have in our DNA that perhaps work in tandem with other DNA changes to uh, put it at us at risk, for example, of um, increased uh, inflammatory responses. So there's, a, there's a, a, a spectrum and I think there's a perception out there that some DNA changes are probably worse than others. And um, so from my, from, for me, there's no such thing as good or bad. It is what it is and we have to love what we've got. So, Margaret, you're talking there about DNA changes. So, what are we talking about there? Are we talking about changes that have evolved over a longer period of time? Are we talking about more shorter-term mutations? And and if so, for either of those, you know, what's the cause of those? Is are they related to our lifestyle? Are they related to just evolution? You know, what's going on with those DNA changes? So, I mean, that's a good question, Brett. I mean, in the book, we talk about DNA changes that. Um, some of them are very ancient and some of them are, are newer. So some of the more sort of ancient DNA changes are um, genes that make us perhaps hold on to um, our body fat more because it was, you know, an evolutionary advantage to carry uh, more body weight because in times of famine and you would have some energy reserves to draw upon. And then we look at other DNA changes such as those related to celiac disease um, lactose intolerance, for example, which are sort of newer genetic manifestations uh, that it can affect individuals in a dietary sense as well. So I mean, we still don't 
understand, for example, exactly when um, the lactose intolerance um, first started, uh, but in evolutionary terms, I've described it as a, a red hot genomic moment because it, it happened in a very short space of time in evolutionary terms. So there's a, there's a spectrum of so, uh, DNA changes. So, Margie, when we're talking about ancient and newer, what sort of, I mean, obviously you're saying you don't know exactly, but what sort of rough time frames are we talking about? Are we saying like that's happened in the last decade, in the last hundred years, thousand years, million years? You know, what's the sort of time frame we're talking about with those ancient ones and then also with the newer ones? I mean, we're about you know two million years in the making metabolically, so it's a it's a pretty slow process. Um, but you know the the problems with uh, gluten and celiac and lactose are you know in evolutionary terms um, a lot newer. So uh, yeah, I mean human beings are very very slow to uh, change, uh, Brett, and um, you know and that's one of the problems. Our environment has changed very quickly. So, Margie, one of the things that basically what you're saying is that, you know, we, we can't choose our genes, so we can just blame our parents. Um, <laughs> but more importantly, that uh, but you say that we can actually influence them. So in our lifetime, so we, there are certain, certain, certain things we can do. So but what are the limitations of what we can influence? I mean, because you mentioned that, you know, certain genes that have been around for us for millions of years and, you know, there's genes that we can change. Can we actually have influence on certain types of genes only or is it can we influence all of them? What are our limitations in our human lifespan like within the given life that we actually have right now? So there's quite a few points to what you've just talked about, Lawrence. Uh, you know, in terms of our genome and, and what we can actually do, uh, there are very many ways that we can actually improve um, our health and uh, also look at preventative health. So, for example, um, if you're a person who um, wants to lose weight, they're carrying extra weight, for example, um, we know that uh, one of those genes in particular, and I've affectionately called it the fatso gene in the book, um, basically we that's, know that's it's cute. prone to... Pardon me? That's cute. Yeah, it's prone to more methylation, so it, it kind of epigenetically gets locked down and doesn't function properly, and sometimes those individuals will have a problem getting a full signal. But if you want to alter that gene epigenetically, then we know that exercise basically throws off those methyl tags or like handcuffs on that gene, um, improving a person's leptin response so they have a much better full signal, so they tend not to overeat. We know if you have two copies of that particular variant, then eating a um, more, more protein and a, and a lower fat diet will also assist in weight management. So it's about using that knowledge uh, to to improve our health outcomes, so that's that's one way that we can work around it. Sometimes genes gene changes change the um, efficiency with which the enzyme or protein works, and in those instances, sometimes individuals may need active supplementation to actually step in behind the parts of the pathway that those proteins or enzymes affect and take over that step that they're not working um, at very well. So, for example, methylation, the um, MTHFR enzyme would be one of those. And methylation is a, a very huge part um, of, our, of our health because it governs so many, many processes and pathways in our body. I don't, I don't suppose you've got a cute name for the MTHFR gene, do you, Margie? 
Oh, we called that the mother freaker gene. <laughs> I was wondering where you're going to go. Sorry, <laughs> right. well covered, well covered up, well done, very good. I was uh, I was using a different word than freak, but uh, that's uh, that's very good because a lot of people do have that gene variant, and of course, um, they're at greater risk of many different um, problems, which you know th- that includes cardiovascular disease and and other big diseases too, doesn't it, Maggie? Um, and mental health. Mental, mental health, health, that's right. Well. Yeah, that's it's a big thing. Prior to um, this gene testing coming out, we kind of just went with best evidence. And the best evidence at the time um, around nutrition was really just observation because most nutrition information is theory, right? Um, the greatest thing I've found about using the, this type of genetic testing and, I suppose, investigation is that you then realise that um, what works for one person may not work for another. So this is where I, I suppose I... I've changed my nutrition information and education to go from saying, hey, you should, because I used to recommend people go vegetarian. Then I realized that that even didn't feel good for me. So I said, oh, you should go Atkins. And then I decided, well, Atkins won't suit everybody either. So then I decided to make everybody um, move towards, say, the Palm Method. And then people have gone towards Paleo. And so there's all these different types of eating um, plans and models that I suppose in in vogue at the moment, um, and people are actually following. But one size doesn't fit all. And and what I learned through your testing, Margie, and tell me if I've I've read this wrong, is that where someone could eat high fat and benefit, another person would eat high fat and increase their risk of of mortality. Is that the case? I mean, yeah, that can certainly happen because we know that uh, some people have better uh, fat transporters. So in terms of dietary fat intake, so um, yeah, it sounds like a lot of these uh, diets start with P. Was the palm, pritikin, paleo? <laughs> True. True. How about that? That's maybe the three P's. Maybe that's a, a new diet. Um, <laughs> P vegan. I don't that, know. What that would that's be. right. I think. I think P-gan. the thing for, for for people to remember, Damien, is that. Uh, if they're going to follow a, a diet um, eating plan or some sort of nutritional eating plan, that it may need tweaking yeah. based on, on their genetics. So if someone wants to follow paleo, it might need to be um, a slightly modified paleo diet versus someone who might go more sort of hardcore on paleo. Yeah, um, it's, it's all about tweaking, I think. And, uh, you know, the other issue is that there's just so much information out there around nutrition that I think that the public gets confused. Whereas hey, if, we used, if we used our genes, sorry, just to finish, if we used our genes, uh, then we would have uh, a percentage of um, fats, proteins and carbohydrates that would work best for our lipid transporters and our heart health. And then people could, in essence, pick a, a kind of eating plan that worked for them based on those nutritional energy sources. So I'm really curious, Maggie, you mentioned before about the newer changes to the genes and you're talking about sort of gluten intolerance and lactose intolerance and, and those as being newer additions to it. So is the suggestion there then that once we were really good at dealing with milk and with grains and that we've evolved now to not be as good? Is that is that what you're saying? I think in, in evolutionary terms that we uh, basically stopped hunting for our food and we became farmers and and that changed our nutritional input. So um, you know, grains became um, a lot more popular in in, um, in terms of nutritional sources, and likewise with um, with dairy as well. So, um, so you know, so it's a suggestion there that, that prior to us doing that, we were able to deal with them better than after uh, doing that. 
we didn't actually have to deal with them. That's the issue. And and our, you know, for certain percentage of the population, um, they're still not able to um, use those energy sources. Um, so some people are celiac, some people are lactose intolerant. And, so and in fact, the, the thing is, Brett, that sometimes people can, um, you know, be alive for a long time, maybe into their 50s, but they might have a, a change in their nutritional environment that can trigger, um, for example, their underlying celiac. So they, they were born with celiac disease, but because of their diet, which might not have included uh, foods that contain gluten, um, that, that, that they've been okay. And in fact, in Gene Genius, um, we actually cite a case where um, a lady was in her 50s and she, she brought an Italian restaurant. And uh, soon after, she started eating more of the foods that were cooked in her restaurant, and which was a vast um, dis departure from the diet she'd been eating, which was basically meat and, and vegetables. And uh, lo and behold, she developed some pretty severe symptoms, um, had some follow-up investigations, and it turns out that she's actually a celiac. So, you know, <laughs> she she didn't know until she was in her 50s that um, she actually couldn't process uh, gluten. Wow. We've been talking a lot about food and how genes affect that. And uh, I've been reading this, I read this book recently called The Sports Gene, and they were talking about the science of uh, athletic performance. And what's interesting about, um, they're looking at the 10,000 hour rules and whether or not genes actually have a role in that. And they sort of found that there could be evidence where, let's say, majority of the top sprinters in the world are from Jamaica, and certain part of Jamaica, and they all come from a certain part of Africa. And uh, Kenyans are, um, you know, amazing at marathon runners, and high jumpers have this gene in their Achilles tendons that make them stronger to go jump higher. Baseball players have these uh, amazing acuity for, uh, have better vision than the normal population. So uh, looking at that and genes affecting, you know, sporting performance, what about for the general public? Do you think, and I was kind of, you know, you may not be able to answer this, but do you think that because we're all so genetically different, that does it affect our what we should do in terms of exercise? That's um, there's some really cool examples you've just given, Lawrence. And one of the chapters in the book, um, I talk about, you know, are our elite athletes mutants, um, mm. and in, and indeed they are in a way because you know our DNA is always throwing up changes, and um, certainly uh, these elite athletes that you've just talked about are examples of you know advantageous changes in our genome that that they managed to to use um, to have sporting prowess I think for the the general population uh, I think it's important to try and understand what uh, your sporting abilities may be simply to um, avoid injury risk um, it, you know for me it turns out that um, you know, I've sort of got mixed endurance, sprint and power capabilities. Uh, but, you know, I found out much later in life, but that certainly did fit with the types of exercise that, um, that I engaged in. Mm. So I I'm think just trying the, to, I'm just trying to find an excuse so I don't have to do any wobbles because I'm too short. <laughs> 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 and rowing. <laughs> squats are good for you, I'll tell you. I can tell you, squats are well, good Squats are fine. It's yeah. the wobbles that I have a problem with. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, um, you, you look at um, Phelps, the swimmer. I mean, his arm length mm. is longer. His feet are bigger. He can uh, hyperextend his joints, so his reach is better. Yeah. I mean, he's got a number of um, really adaptive advantages um, 
to, you know, as I say, being in his own gene pool um, because he's um, certainly an amazing swimmer. Yeah, it's probably helped him that he was born in water too, hey? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? Well, I'm sure that story will come out one day. I'm uh, just wondering, uh, Margie, in your book you've obviously got a number of different chapters um, and it's really it's quite striking for the reader when they when they open up and they read these chapters and go, oh, my gosh, is that is that true? There is actually clues to easy weight loss. You know, could my genes give me some clues there? We spoke about that already. Um, we, sp- we just spoke about exercise, but you can actually tell them what's most appropriate in terms of the exercise that they should be doing. Um, you can tell them whether or not fat's appropriate for them, what sort of fat, what sort of percentage of their calorie intake should be fat. So all of these things come out in the gene testing too. Food sensitivities, does that go beyond celiac and lactose or are you, are you, is that kind of where it stops with genetics? Well, so we look at um, at caffeine, whether you're a fast or slow caffeine metabolizer. Ooh, um, what does it mean? Like if you're fast, does it mean it's good for you? Or Yeah, <laughs> if it's fast, it's it's good because you, you basically metabolize it very quickly. But if you're a slow caffeine metabolizer, then there's increased risk for hypertension um, and heart attack. Mm-hmm. So you really need to make sure that your caffeine intake is one to two cups of coffee a day. And just remember, caffeine is hidden in so many places. Mm. Um, and another area that you can look at is sodium sensitivity. So think about all the places that sodium is hidden in foods, especially processed foods. So just, just briefly, there was a study done in Finland over a 10-year period, and they actually changed the salt from common white table salt to a more natural salt, which was higher in potassium and magnesium. Mm. And in that 10-year period, they reduced the incidence of um, coronary heart disease, stroke, and, and hypertension by 60% wow. simply by changing to Getting a more a natural salt. salt. Nice. Wow. So knowing whether you're sodium sensitive or not is, is, is really useful if you want to reduce your risk of hypertension. But, there, you know, apart from foods, I mean, we think about our environment and toxins, and uh, there's a pretty cool chapter in there I think it's called um, is, is That Plastic in My DNA? So all those environmental toxins get caught up and intercalated into our DNA helix. So that, that kind of information is really useful. And, you know, some people are more vulnerable than others. Would that be useful for things like breast cancer or cervical cancer? Or is that the kind of thing you're looking at? Or why would yeah, someone... Def- yeah, yeah, definitely. Just all those xenoestrogens, things that mimic our body's estrogens, um, you know, that leach out of um, plastic drink bottles, for example. Um, science is showing that some of those um, uh, BPAs, those chemicals, basically get caught up or inserted into our DNA helix and they lock down our, the DNA ladder. And sometimes it can't be marked for repair. Remember, our DNA has got a remarkable repair machinery and spell checkers making sure that all those little a, C's, T's and G's that make up the DNA helix are, are all in order and in the, the order that they should be in. But sometimes our repair machinery can't detect uh, those environmental toxins and pollutants. So we, we become literally one with our toxic environment. It becomes part of us and can't be removed. So, Margie, I'm curious about kind of, I guess, where we go from here. Like once you've got the information, for example, if I get the information and it says that maybe genetically I'm going to be better at doing endurance stuff as opposed to power stuff when it and, comes and, to exercise. And being a vegan. 
Yeah, <laughs> So does that mean then that I should only do endurance stuff or does it mean that I should try and work more on the power stuff to try and increase my capabilities so that I'm, you know, I guess a more well-rounded individual? You know, which way do you go with that? Yeah, I think I think it's a good idea to try and become more well-rounded, so work on those those other areas. But, you know, you think about human nature and, um, you know, exercise can feel like a pretty uncomfortable um, commitment for, for people because they their heart rate goes up, they get sweaty. Some people actually don't enjoy it, but they, they do it because they have to. And people will generally um, work out what feels comfortable for them, what's easier for them. So if it's, you know, more endurance-based events, they physiologically feel they can manage better, then they will continue to do that. If people are better off at sprint and power, then they'll naturally want to uh, pick sports that um, or exercise activities that um, that you know encompass those aspects of exercise. You know, remember, human beings, you know, their brain is is wired for uh, for pleasure, and if um, something is deemed to be pleasurable or found to be pleasurable, then human beings will repeat it. So you've got to find something that's that you find pleasurable in terms of exercise. Yeah, for sure. Um, Margie, I don't know if you can answer this, but it's an, probably an unusual question because um, we've been talking about things that uh, it's an environment. You know, we talk about food and exercise, but is there a gene that, or is there even science or research on talking about how we think? as a behavioral from a mindset point of view, you know, whether some people are more prone to negative thinking or have a fixed mindset versus a, a growth mindset. Is there any research on that? Or procrastination or, or you know, doing two things at once, Damien. A multitasking, yeah. Or talking over the top of people when they're interrupting. Yeah. I might be able to answer that question if I didn't feel so immobilized. But <laughs> that could be a response. But I, I think that, um, you know, personality um, is genetic and it's also our environment um, so remember that parts of our personalities come from our parents it's also shaped by our our environment um, so I don't think there's a, a really um, hard and fast answer but certainly there will be genetic components and look um, the the dopamine receptor that I talk about in the book in terms of um, do you like risky type pursuits or um, do risky pursuits make you feel uncomfortable? So, for example, some people really, like on the weekend, they want to, um, you know, leap out of aircraft or go and scale um, cliffs and walls or jump off buildings. I mean, you know, that, that for them is something that they really, really enjoy. Mm. And generally speaking in relationships, risky people tend to associate with other risk-taking individuals. So it's a, it's a personality trait, risk-taking is one of them. And, uh, and your dopamine receptor, depending on how long your dopamine receptor is um, or, or shorter it is, uh, people may sort of fall into that category of um, liking being an accountant or a librarian, um, someone who likes structure and, and routine versus people who... Um, don't like routine and structure may have mm. a longer dopamine receptor. So genes definitely can, can contribute in that way. I, I find that fascinating. I'm actually reading this book on, on that exactly right now. It's about 
flow, you know, getting into flow, that's exactly what you're saying is that some people love extreme sport to kind of get into that flow state where some people would rather meditate and get into a flow state or be in the forest and meditate. Sorry about the background noise of my house is under construction at the moment. Um, I do have one question here. Um, there's, you know, some people want to know, um, you know, especially Damien here who wants to know, how do you get that white porcelain, young looking skin um, that I might have? Um, is, there, is there a gene influence for youth? Oh, no, actually, so is there, uh, um, is there a, uh, a gene for, um, for youth or is it how, what are some of the factors affecting um, our aging process? What are some of the things that speed it up and what are some of the things that we could slow it down? So I, you dropped out a little bit there, but it sounds to me like the question was, you know, why do you look so youthful and why are some of us aging more quickly? <laughs> Pretty much. He's just having a humble brag. He's just, he's just, he's just a brag. He's just bragging. Yeah. He's no, just no. Like, I, the, I look so I hot. I think... I'm ripped. I've got chiseled jawline and I've got porcelain skin. Just wondering why other people don't look as good as me. That's the question. <laughs> no, the, question the question is, Margie, is, is that people are really interested about aging, obviously, as we're uh, going to an aging population. But one of the key factors that we, I think we need to understand is what are some of the things, what are some of the factors environmentally that are actually increasing or influencing our genes to age? faster or and some of the uh, factors that can actually sort of um, inhibit that process or slow oh, it down at least it sounds it sounds like we've gone from you know an aesthetic how good we look to what might what might be happening to us metabolically in terms of our anti-aging um, abilities and I think they're quite, they're quite separate things uh, Lawrence if your parents have aged very well and they look good it's very likely that the same things are going to happen to you and likewise, Damien, if your parents have got lovely porcelain skin, I'm sure that yours will continue to look like that for quite some time into the future. Oh, that no, wasn't my humble brag. It was Lawrence's humble brag. But my parents look great. But it was definitely okay. Lawrence's humble brag. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a joke, honestly, Margaret. <laughs> no, no. But um, in terms of metabolic health and the, the types of aging, I think we've all heard about uh, telomeres that um, – you know, if we if they start to get shaved off as we age, uh, there are things that we can do to reduce that. So improving our antioxidant status, you know, lots of you know having colourful fruits and vegetables. Um, you know, our toxic environment can make us age as well. I mean, you know. I think we need to get away from this. I'm sorry, Lawrence. Um, you you do look very, very handsome and you don't seem to have very many wrinkles there on the image that I can see. But really we need to look at how wrinkly we are on the inside, what our metabolic health is like. Yeah, that's what I'm concerned with. I mean, that's what most people are, are more concerned with is, is metabolically, how are they functioning? Because on the outside, it doesn't really matter because, it's, you know, if you're aging really rapidly on the inside, that's going to be the problem, right? So what are some of the, you know, what you just said is, is important because I think people need to understand how it affects them. Um, and you could, you know, look 50, but, you know, your body could be like 70, 80 year old, then that could be a problem. Yeah, that is, that is a huge problem. So, you know, we, we need to understand, um, how we can reduce inflammation in our bodies. That's, that's hugely important because there is no disease process that doesn't have an inflammatory component. So if you know that kind of information uh, about yourself in relation to your, to your genome, then you can start looking at a more anti-inflammatory type approach to your nutrition um, and maybe look at some more active supplementation to turn that down, for example. If you look at the um, effects of the environmental toxins and pollutants on cardiovascular health, I mean, environmental toxins and pollutants increase the risk of 
small dense LDLs, a type that, that cause heart disease, if there are a lot of environmental toxins and pollutants, they can then help them to become more oxidized. So the only way to do that is improve your antioxidant status. You know, we've really, um, outside of putting us in a bubble or our DNA in a bubble, we have to interact with our environment. Um, and we are going to age. It's just that we want to basically put the brakes on on that aging process. So, you know, certainly managing our, our weight, taking care of our metabolic markers, knowing our DNA, um, reducing stress. I mean, stress kills people. In Gene Genius, I talk about, um, you know, public speaking or death. For some people, the thought of, you know, speaking in public um, is just something that they don't feel that they can do and they'd rather die. But the, the effects that cortisol has, elevated cortisol and stress, um, we, you know, human beings need to understand we need downtime. We're not machines. Margie, this has been fascinating. Thank you so much for, your, you know, your time. I'm looking forward to uh, actually, you know, getting diving into the book. Uh, it's, uh, the book is called Gene Genius, and uh, we'll actually put on the link. It's by Harlequin Books, and we'll definitely put a link in our on our website. Go to uh, wellnesscouch.com uh, and look up for this particular episode, and uh, there'll be a link directly to how you can purchase the book. Margie, thank you so much for your time, and uh, it's great to have you on a second time, and uh, it, it's just been fascinating. Guys, like us on Facebook. Uh, go to The Wellness Couch and The Wellness Guy. Share this podcast with your friends and families and other strangers you think need a wellness update. Subscribe to us on iTunes and while you're there, leave a five-star rating and leave a comment on there too. Until next week, begin creating wellness into your lives. Lead by example. Let's change the world's health together. Join us next week on The Wellness Couch Show. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.